distro hopping, the idea that Linux is fun and the myriad of ways people put distros together should be reviewed often. My name is Moss. I live in eastern Tennessee. My name is Tony. I live in the northwest of England. And I am Dale. I live in northeast Ohio. Welcome to Distro Hoppers Digest. We love checking distros out, new distros, new versions of older distros, and even some we may have overlooked. We each have our preferences in complexity, our desktop, or package management. Perhaps we can help you find a new distro, or better understand one which has piqued your curiosity. The idea of this podcast is that we will each install a new distro to our chosen hardware for three or four weeks and use it as much as possible perhaps even as our daily driver. We record all our trials and tribulations, fixes, what we liked and what we didn't. Tony and I prefer to look at distros which would be kind to a new user, especially one who is hoping to move over from another operating system, such as Windows or Mac OS. While I tend to take on the more advanced distros and give them a go. We intend to give as much information as possible on each distro, And we will also divulge what hardware we are using and how we think the hardware may have affected. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest, episode 29, recorded on January 12th, 2022. This episode, we are taking on Voyager 21.10GE, Arco Linux, and Fedora 35. We are happy to receive suggestions of distros you'd like us to try. We are joined once again by special guest, Joshua Hawk. Hi. Monthly foibles, wherein we discuss what we did this month. Let's start out with Josh again. What's new with you? I uh, got my laptop back from uh, repair. I didn't talk about this last time, did I? I think you did mention that you were putting it in for a fix because of the screen bleed. Just making sure, because for some reason I feel like I talked about it, but I talked about it on all the other shows. But anyway. All what other shows? (laughs) Um, Mintcast and Crowbar Kernel Panic. (laughs) <laughs> there are other shows. Wait, what's this? Wait, okay, go ahead, Josh. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I got, I did get it back from um getting fixed, and uh, the light bleed issue um hasn't been fixed, but it moved from the middle of the top of the screen to the corner of the screen at the top, so it's not as noticeable, but it's still there. I uh, actually can get rid of the light bleed if I press on the back of the screen if I put my thumb on the front corner and I press with my middle finger on the back of the screen just slightly I can get rid of all the light bleed so I'm kind of thinking maybe I can put a piece of tape there and tighten it up real good and maybe that'll get rid of it totally uh it's kind of a rig but uh if it works I'll be happy they've not exactly fixed it properly then have they not really, but I don't want to send it in again and chance getting a worse screen since this one still had it and that and it's still, you know, kind of there, but better. So, yeah, I don't want a chance getting a worse screen if they're going to replace it again. I also switched my hard drive in my laptop with an SSD with um, the modern OSs today. Uh, hard drive is really not a viable option for me because it's just too slow. I've been kind of spoiled by uh, SSD speeds. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just have to say this. Um, it literally took me hours to download, install, and boot Ubuntu on my laptop, um, let alone how long it took me to install and load any games on it. So yeah, um, it took me maybe like an hour or two to actually get the SSD going. So yeah, it was it was bad. It might have took six hours total, maybe f- to for the a hard drive to actually uh, get everything set up. So yeah, that was that was pretty bad. I'm not doing that again, <laughs> unless it's uh, just for storage. Um, so my desktop, I'm planning on migrating my server from my old laptop workstation to my desktop. Um, I'm going to be doing this because my laptop is about uh, four or five times more powerful than my desktop uh, for gaming. So um, also my desktop is probably five to ten times, or my laptop is more uh, five to ten more, more powerful than my uh, workstation laptop. So yeah, I have Nextcloud and Plex running on my server right now. So 
I'll be able to have Plex use my NVIDIA GPU in my uh, desktop to transcode video. So that'll be nice so that um, if I have a piece of hardware I'm trying to view the video on that doesn't support a codec, it'll actually transcode it um, so it can actually uh, watch my stuff. And I think that's that's pretty much all for me. So what's going on with you, Dale? I continued with my project of compiling Pop Shell and Cosmic using Debian Stable. I will speak more on this in the Beautiful Failure section. With my renewed interest in GNOME, I installed Debian Testing, which is the uh, codename of Bookworm, on my Lenovo T460, which has GNOME 41 available in the testing repo. I've tried to recreate a similar look and feel to what Pop! OS has. I went through and tracked down all the fonts that were used and installed them. I used GNOME Tweaks to change a few of the default settings. I also found a nice tweak-like uh, extension that I wanted to share with everyone. It is called Just Perfection. If you like tweaking GNOME, you need to install this extension. It does some things that uh, GNOME Tweaks doesn't do. The amount of settings that you can change is quite extensive and uh, too many to name. Between GNOME Tweaks and Just Perfection, there's very little you can't change in GNOME that can be changed. I've been trying a new workflow, so I disabled the super key from opening the activity screen. Since I couldn't make it open uLauncher like how Pop! OS does with their version of it, if you haven't tried uLauncher, you need to take a look. That is, if you like the launcher functionality in Pop! OS. Instead of using the super key, I signed a hot corner in the upper left-hand corner of my screen to open uLauncher. I accomplished that by using the extension both Josh and I talked about last episode called Custom Hot Corners Extended. I still use the super key combination with other letters, like, for example, opening the terminal with uh, super T. In my non-computer activities, I've been trying to be slightly less of a hermit and eat breakfast or dinner at my uh, favorite restaurant called Farmer Boy. It's about five minutes away. It is a uh, family-style uh, menu, and they have all-day breakfast if I want breakfast, even in the afternoon or evening. And it's just because after driving upwards of 11,000 to 12,000 miles or... 16,000 and 19,000 kilometers for work, I tend to stay home or very uh, close to home, which is why I always call my lifestyle the, the hermit lifestyle. <laughs> I have a habit of sitting at my desktop computer from the time I wake up until I go to sleep, so I've been taking a day or a partial day where I don't turn my desktop on and instead watch TV from bed, but sometimes I'll have my penguin uh, with me, and or I'll do all my work with uh, my phone. So, how about you, Tony? Ah, well, uh, forgot to say at the beginning of the show, Happy New Year to everyone. So, uh, yes, just before Christmas, my new PC, which I mentioned on the last show, uh, arrived, uh, and I have to say, I'm very happy with it. I initially had a couple of issues with understanding the UEFI BIOS settings and how to show bootable drives, but after getting help from the Juno help desk, I was able to get Mint uh, 20.2 installed alongside of the installation of Ubuntu 20.04, which uh, comes with it by stock, which uh, I gave that about 50 gig of the disk space and gave all the rest of it over to uh, the Mint install. It's got an NVMe uh, one terabyte uh, SSD, so uh, plenty of space. And isn't it nice to have a computer that comes with Linux on it? I know <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> no, no Windows tax. <laughs> so anyway, so after installing Mint, I had to uh, get some Juno PPAs uh, installed for their driver set. Uh, which luckily the guy on uh, their help desk over the internet uh, sent me all the uh, instructions on how to uh, enable it, but that made the, the graphics work correctly, everything. So uh, just to re uh, refresh, the PC's got an AMD Ryzen 9 5900HX uh, CPU, so it's got eight 
eight cores and 16 threads. It's got one terabyte NVMe, you have the um, M2 SSD, like I just said, and I yeah, expect it out with 32 gig of uh, RAM. It's a beast. It really is. I could expect it out with the uh, 64 gig, but um, it would have been a bit overkill. But also, I can put if I want to do that at a later date, it'll actually be cheaper for me to open the box up and stick my own, my own in and then flog the uh, cards that are already in there if I, if I want to get rid of them. If I haven't got anything that runs uh, DDR4 by then. So, anyway, uh, in real world tests, I'm getting about Five times faster performance, um, you know, than my Generation 3 i7, and that had 24 gig DDR3 RAM. So tasks such as image editing and uh, audio are just that much faster. So I just, uh, I did a test and I opened a 5 megabyte image in GIMP almost instantly. And I can say, you know, I can do uh, editing in GIMP and scale up the image to ludicrous sizes. And it does it in a few seconds, you know, rather than waiting minutes to do it. So I'm quite, I'm really chuffed. So I'm hoping this episode of uh, Distro Hoppers is going to be a fairly uh, simple process to edit this time. We'll see. I've done a few tests. We'll wait and see in real world. I've also installed GNOME boxes and uh, I've got uh, VMs running on it. And uh, as uh, Dale said last time, uh, uh, you know, it's like they're running on bare metal. Just so much smoother than VirtualBox. The only issue I have is in the latest version, if you're running the um, Flatpak, which is the latest version, the developers have removed the easy ability to share files and folders and peripherals such as printers across from the host PC to the VM. I know you can probably get this working up with networking, but I haven't worked out how to do this yet. There is a new uh, toy that's kind of, it's a new GNOME tool called Connections, which is a linked to um, GNOME boxes. Uh, And I've installed it, but so far I haven't had any luck with that, but I'm working on that. Other than that, I've had a quiet holiday. Uh, we had one friend come and join us for Christmas lunch and spent the rest of the time over the holiday period just chilling out and watching a bit of TV, doing some model restorations of me, die-cast cars, etc. Also on New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, I joined the HPR New Year Marathon uh, a couple of times over the 26 hours. And uh, the uh, New Year's uh, special of Doctor Who was on New Year's Day uh, in the evening, so me and my wife sat down and watched that. I'm still trying to work out what what it was all about because it was a real weird episode, like the the previous six episodes, which were the the series. <laughs> so I'm probably going to have to watch the whole thing, whole lot of uh, seven episodes that have uh, recently been released to try and make sense of them. But uh, yeah, so that's me. Uh, what have you been getting up to, Moss? Well, I don't know how I missed you on the HPR show. I was on a lot, but I wasn't on a lot. That is, I left my mumble room open, whether I was in or not. <laughs> I got my new desktop computer in, a Lenovo ThinkCenter Tiny M700 with the i7-6700T CPUs and, and 16 gigs of RAM. I had to ask some friends for help getting Linux on it because it has a trickier BIOS than Lenovo laptops do, and wound up posting the procedure on itsmos.com. But I had it up and running in no time and actually recorded an episode of Full Circle Weekly News on it on the same day I got it. This is replacing my ancient HP Z800 workstation as it runs faster and more reliably as well as uses considerably less power. I have a 128GB SSD on it for now with Mint 20.2. Actually, I have upgraded that to 20.3. Matei and Bodhi 6 installed on it. All of this for under $400 except for tax. Then, just as I was about to attempt to sell the Kudu, Suzanne decided she liked it better than the T560 I had bought her, which means I got the T560 and had to set up the Kudu for her, and the T560 for me, and now I've got a T540P to use as my second or testing laptop or sell, as well as selling the dock that came with it, the finally retired T430, and the HP Z800 workstation. So along with the new tablet, my side of the house 
is 100% Lenovo, and Susanna's running System76 for the first time. I also just started back in on Mintcast as of episode 378. I think I can keep up the schedule at least for a while. I have to pass Tony for eighth place on the hosting list at least. I'll have to come back then, won't I? <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that Leo did not pass Joe Ressington. He tied Joe Ressington and Harrison. Ah, right. Okay. Uh, the the uh, hosting spreadsheet had not been updated since early September uh, last time <laughs> by Leo, and I updated it and said, ah, you didn't get there, guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably come back for a special episode. I think he is coming back shortly, but... That'll get him over, but it's going to be really hard to pass Joe, but Joe is so far behind the first three, uh, I don't know. It's not possible to catch up to Rob Hawkins. It's just not. No, that's never going to happen. I also have a brand new stainless steel 30-cup percolator to replace my 42-cup aluminum one. Better coffee for better podcasts. In other news, Dale's articles on the history of the desktop have been picked up by Full Circle Magazine. I believe they will begin in issue 176 if what Ronnie told me was accurate. So let's move on to updates. Updates, where we discuss what we have learned about distros we've already reviewed. Mint 20.3 finally dropped on January 5th. We were beginning to wonder if it was going to come out before this show did. Even DistroWatch missed it on that day. Also, DistroWatch's Jesse posted an article on the top distros of 2021 and surprised himself by listing Bodhi 6 in third place. And on the 4th, Robert Wiley announced a beta of Bodhi 6.1, running Enlightenment E25. The Moksha beta is almost ready. Dale? Well, I'm going to lead with the shocking news first. Joshua Strobel, experienced lead of the Solus Project, and lead maintainer of the Budgie desktop has resigned from Solus. Not to go in all of the drama, it is succinct to say it's mostly due to personal differences. He and the Solus team say that it will be business as usual. Josh will continue to maintain Budgie, and the Solus team will reorganize the project accordingly. Josh is going to join Ike Doherty to work on Ike's new distro called Serpent OS. Ike incidentally created Solus and left the project in 2018. Zero Linux has released two new additions. In addition to the KDE Plasma, they now have a GNOME using version 41 and an XFC using 4.16. I will have a link to the new website in the show notes. For further details, it's uh, zerolinux.xyz. Redcore, the Gen 2-based distro, had a serious issue with Sisyphus. Sisyphus is the package manager in addition to Gentoo's portage. Sisyphus had issues with upgrading the system, compiling packages from source instead of using the pre-compiled binaries and, and etc. This update to Sisyphus must be applied manually. A link to their blog post will be in the show notes. You've got to be very careful how you say that word. <laughs> yeah, Sisyphus. Yeah, there, there is a... Uh, I'm not sure if this is in the UK, but this this happened, I can't remember how many years ago, maybe 10 years ago. We had the Sci-Fi Channel, and the suits decided, we want to rebrand the name. So they called it Siffy. And if you're not... I know... Um, Tony will know, I'm not sure if this it will be in the uh, UK lexicon for euphemisms, but in the United States, SIFI is a nickname to a medical condition that I'm not going to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, so you have to be careful about saying Sisyphus. You can't have any type yeah. of lisp or you're going to get very funny looks and a lot of red faces. <laughs> I think they still call it Sci-Fi, but it went from capital S-C-I cap F-I to cap S-Y cap F-Y. Yeah, because I have some friends in the medical field, and when they do medical shorthand for updating patient records and just general records, they use that as an abbreviation for a medical condition. And they just thought that was the most hilarious thing, because if you're not in that industry, you have no idea what that means, which is a good thing, actually. <laughs> So, 
Lastly, Debian reached a milestone of 1 million bugs fixed. Many thanks to all the developers, contributors, and users who have helped reach this goal. Now, congrats to them. There is a new tool called FNT, which is a font utility to preview and install fonts from the Debian SID repository and Google Web Fonts. FNT is available in testing and the SID repositories. With this utility, there are now 2,000 fonts available. A link to this blog post will be in the show notes. So on to you, Tony. Yeah, well, uh, as Moss has already said, uh, Mint 20.3 arrived. So as soon as the uh, inline uh, update was available, I installed it on the new PC and my main laptop. I'm not noticing too much difference. Everything still works, which is always good. And as for the changes, uh, I probably don't use them or they're just background improvements. But no complaints here. It kind of works. So I'm quite happy with it. I wanted to butt in here because uh, I had to update four systems here in the house and it went so smoothly, no more than five or ten minutes for that update. Yeah, it was it was a piece of cake. So, Josh, what have you got for us? Yeah, I'd like to add to uh, Mint. Mint is just about the easiest to update, especially between the point releases. I mean, you don't get much easier than that. Yeah, they make it a really simple process once they, once they release it. The full releases, on the other hand. <laughs> yeah, they're they're more problematic, definitely. But uh, it's it's not too bad <laughs> if you know what you're doing. Yeah, I did. I didn't mention that, but I did a full uh, a full update from nineteen point three to uh, twenty for my wife's PC, and it took forever. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I, t- I might have talked about it on the show last last time, but it did. It took forever. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, as far as updates go for me, I don't have any yet. Um, I haven't really been on the show long enough to do anything, and everything you guys mentioned was pretty much everything that I would have even said, especially the Solus thing. Um, I, I follow them. I used to I used to use them, but uh, or uh, Solus, but uh, not anymore. And uh, I, I usually keep following them as much as as close as I can. But anyway, that's me. <laughs> okay, let's move on to beautiful failures. Beautiful failures, what we tried and failed to install or run this month. I had attempted to install three desktop versions of Arco Linux this month. Two of them, Matei and UKUI, worked fine, although I liked Matei better and we'll review that below. The Cutefish version installed but failed to update, with two files reporting as corrupted. I reinstalled more than once and tried again, also installed the Plasma version and got the same result. I'm guessing the corrupted files have something to do with QT and have let the Arco people know. Josh? Uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, I tried to use a regular hard drive for gaming or to install an OS, and that, that obviously failed. For me, at least, I, I, it's just too slow, uh, like I said. But um, other than that, I uh, actually had a uh, flash drive, a USB flash drive fail um, in my server. Uh, it's actually a new flash drive, and um, I think it was my fault, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, I tried putting Ubuntu um, on ZFS on that, and that's when it went into read-only mode, and I couldn't get it out. So I'm not sure exactly what happened with that, but um, I tried many fixes on Linux and Windows, and all my go-tos just didn't work because it went into read-only mode, and when it's in that mode, there's literally just nothing you can do. There's no, like, slider on the side that you can put in read-only mode, so that's not the problem either. Um, I uh, sent an RMA to uh, SanDisk, and um, they're going to replace it. I just got the email right now, right before the show, so that'll be good. At least I'll get a new flash drive. Dale, how about you? As I mentioned last episode, I was suggested to edit one of the config files that was downloaded from System76 GitHub repo during one of the uh, Git pulls. Sure enough, that is where the problem was. It was pointing to a subfolder that didn't exist in the repo. I replaced it and 
used the name of the parent folder and was able to compile that module. That was a short-lived victory once I moved on to the next module. After satisfying its dependencies, it failed to compile. Unfortunately, this time, it was a vague, to me, error message from Rust. I searched for that error and read what it meant. All I can say is that is five minutes of my life I'm not getting back. I don't know any programming, however, I have learned quite a bit compiling from source over the past two decades. I can usually figure out what happened, you know, uh, what caused the uh, item not to compile. Well, Rust compilation errors are something I can't figure out. I posted this error to the GitHub bug tracker, but to be honest, I doubt I'll get a response. This is not a slight against System76 at all. The documentation clearly states that this is intended to be compiled on Ubuntu, so I can understand not wanting to spend any time on a non-standard build environment, you know, for them trying to figure out why. I'm going to upgrade to Debian testing and try again, as the updated libraries may help fix the problem. So, Tony? Well, my uh, failure was uh, with my new PC. <laughs> Just after getting it and successfully installing everything and getting it working, it stopped recognizing USB boot drives. And I couldn't work it out straight away. But uh, it took me a while. To, so I finally figured out it was the BIOS. So when fiddling around in there, I'd uh, obviously switch something off. And um, when I uh, went back to the stock... Uh, I just pressed uh, go back to, um, you know, original settings uh, and it came back. <laughs> so uh, I can now boot USB drives if I need to. But the moral of the story is don't fiddle with things that you're not sure of. Amen to that. <laughs> yeah, these modern biases are really weird. <laughs> I couldn't understand, and it and it's it's it shows the um, bootable drives in a really strange way. When I first got it, even though it was showing that I had a stick in it, I didn't realise because of the way it labels the uh, drives that you can can use. So uh, it was the guy from Juno that set, uh, I sent him a screenshot, and he said, "Oh yeah, that click on that second one down, and that's your that's your USB drive." <laughs> So anyway, but um, yeah, that's my beautiful failure this month. So shall we move ahead and get Dale's review of uh, Voyager 2110 GE? Yeah, I agree with Tony. I do not like these new BIOSes. I long for the days of the old Phoenix Ward and other BIOSes because they were so much more straightforward. But in any case, I am doing a Voyager 2110 GE. It is a distro from France. It began in July of 2009 with a Ubuntu base of uh, version 9.04, which was Jaunty Jackalope. It is available with a Ubuntu base or a Debian base these days. The Ubuntu editions are 2110GE with GNOME 40, 20.04 LTS GE with uh, GNOME 3.36, 20.04 LTS XFCE, and 20.04 LTS GS Gaming XFCE. That's a mouthful. The Debian editions are Debian Bullseye with GNOME 3.38, called Voyager 11, Debian Buster GNOME 3.38, and the gaming Debian Buster GNOME.3.38. They also have it optimized for tablet use. I will be reviewing the 2110 GE GNOME 40, which is based on Ubuntu's 2110 uh, preview, the uh, evaluation release. And my hardware is my ThinkPad T460 from Lenovo. It has an Intel dual-core i5-6200U, 2.8 GHz CPU. has a 14-inch uh, display using the Intel HD Graphics 520, 16 GB of RAM, and a 500 GB SSD. The installation, ease, and issues. The boot options in Grub are Voyager, 
Voyager of Safe Graphics, OEM installation, boot from next volume, and the UEFI firmware setting. And the boot from next volume is if you had something already installed on the hard drive, it'll boot it. The boot up of the ISO was very long. It took about two minutes for the desktop to appear and another 30 seconds for the installer to open. Not sure if that was my USB stick or just some quirky thing, but it is what it was. Once in the installation, it was very quick and responsive. They are using Ubuntu's Ubiquity installer. After selecting my language and keyboard settings, the next screen was the option for connecting to the Wi-Fi. Once connected, I proceeded to the next screen where you have the options of a normal installation, which includes a web browser, utilities, office application, games, and uh, media players. Additionally, you can install updates while in the installation, along with installing third-party software like graphics, Wi-Fi, drivers, and other media formats, which is common with uh, Ubiquity Installer. The partitioning is the standard install alongside, if you have another OS installed, erase the disk, or something else. That's usually the advanced um, partitioning. You can do uh, your own custom things there. Next is the time zone selection followed by the user account creation. The usual options of login automatically and require my password to log in are available. A unique option that you don't see in other distros is enable the use of Active Directory, which is going to be part of the uh, Samba file sharing package. After the installation, a dialog box appeared instructing you to restart now. Another message will appear asking you to remove the installation media, which oddly some distros don't do that. After the initial sign-in, a window popped up asking if I wanted to connect my online accounts. A further question were if you wanted to send diagnostic data and if you wanted to open the App Store. The post-installation hardware facts and issues, none found. Now the ease of use. The specific version of GNOME is GNOME 40.4.0 and they're using Wayland. They are using the Yarrow Dark theme except for using the Oreo Black Cursor. It's kind of unique. It's a teardrop-shaped uh, pointer, which, like I said, is, is uh, quite different. It's kind of uh, odd clicking on things because you feel like you're using the wrong wrong hand. It's really kind of... It was kind of odd to me. I thought it was quite fun when I was using Voyager 11. It's cute. I think it also goes from the wrong side for what most people think. Yeah, it was. That's, I think that's probably the the uncanny valley part of it. Is it was pointing in the direction that you wouldn't think a pointer would be pointing at, because <laughs> it was more of like a drop falling from the sky. So it was sort of angled down instead of a pointer being. Angled. The wallpaper is a reddish orange. It is hard to describe, so I posted a screenshot to a Telegram group. They have a conky showing the time, date, CPU, memory, battery, and your disk space usage. At the bottom of the screen, they are using the dash to dock extension. It has commonly used applications such as Firefox, Files, which is the file manager, a text editor, notes, GNOME software, among others. There are quite a few extensions with many more installed, but they're not enabled. Add to desktop cover flow, which is the alt tab animation. I guess it's uh, similar to one of the options you can turn on in Windows. Tweaks and extensions in the system menu are a few of the enabled ones. Show desktop, the sound input and output chooser, top panel notification icons are a few of the uh, disabled ones. And I, I particularly like the sound input and output chooser. It's uh, much better than the uh, default one that GNOME has. It actually shows all of your available ones. So you can just pick from there instead of having to go into the GNOME settings. They have Deja Dupe backup installed. Upon logging in, I kept getting an error that the backup folder doesn't exist. I looked at the settings and saw a foreign word listed in the storage location. I found out that it was the French word for backup. So let's all say it together. Duh. 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 <laughs> yeah, and uh, in French. <laughs> you know, I know... A few words in Spanish, and I know how to say hello in French, and that's about it. <laughs> no. Yeah. He's like, bonjour. 
I disabled it by clicking the backup icon automatically option to off. When I did that, the Ubuntu crash reporter opened and asked if I wanted to send a report. I just clicked OK, and then the sudo password prompt opened. I entered my password. Then another Ubuntu crash reporter opened, asking for another report. I clicked OK to send the report again. This was followed by another pop-up showing System Program Problem Detected. Groundhog Day. <laughs> yeah, do, do you want to report this uh, problem now? And I clicked OK yet again. It prompted me for my sudo password and asked if I wanted to send it again. Well, I kept doing this until I just got fed up and rebooted the laptop. Because <laughs> it was like that carnival game you're whacking the little things that pop up through the holes. I th we call it in, in the States, we call it whack-a-mole. So uh, after the reboot, no more backup error messages or crash reporting prompts were, were coming up. Though that was not the end of some odd issues. I found that the Dash to Dock extension has a few of its own. It has disappeared from the desktop a few times. I would look in the extension settings and notice it was still enabled. Uh, disabling it, re-enabling it. Sometimes you would reload it, otherwise you would have to log out or reboot. Either one, you know, did it. And other more serious errors, clicking on the icon in the dock to show the activities would partially lock up the desktop. Then you would have to reboot, because pretty much the only thing that you were able to click on was the uh, the uh, system menu in GNOME, which pretty much the only thing you can do is log out or reboot. And I say partially because you could still move the mouse and, like I said, access the GNOME system menu, but you couldn't do any keyboard shortcuts. You couldn't do anything. So it was a weird, specific thing. It's I think it was a little bit more than just the shell crashing. I have no idea what happened. The hot corners didn't work when this happened, and uh, so I, I have no idea what was going on. I could do this uh, super key, some super key combinations, but not all. Each time I was able to use the top panel and select the power off option, so I was able to do you know, a graceful uh, shutdown or reboot. I don't use Dash to Dock, so I don't know if this was a bug with GNOME 40 or not. Pressing the super key to open the app activities work fine, so I'm thinking it's either an extension issue or an extension issue for that version of GNOME 40, because I haven't really had a problem with GNOME 40, with the ones I'm using, but I'm not a big doc fan, so I don't know. One extension I don't see used often is Quake Mode. It allows any application to be used as a drop-down window similar to KDE's Yakwake drop-down terminal emulator. You can also assign a keyboard shortcut for each application. Voyager is using it to open the GNOME terminal to provide a drop-down terminal similar to Yakwake, and an icon appears in the top panel for it. I didn't have any other issues while using Voyager. Memory and disk usage. Memory was 705 megabytes. I believe I used uh, the terminal free dash H, which is uh, human readable. I think it defaults to a megabyte. And uh, there's 14 gigabytes on the uh, SSD. The ease of finding help. From what I've read on their website, the developer, due to time constraints and other reasons, they closed the forums. There is a contact submission page. However, the preferred method of support is from the Ubuntu or Debian forums. I did send a, a message asking for some history and some other information about the distro, and I have as yet received a reply. I think I submitted that maybe two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago. Plays nice with others. I installed Voyager alongside Debian testing. After installation, Voyager was the default OS to boot. There was a boot delay, so I was able to select Debian testing during the uh, grub screen. And that's easily changed by editing the grub config manually or using the uh, application grub customizer to uh, change the uh, default settings or any other behavior. Stability. Other than the issue with the dash to dock extension, I didn't have any other crashes. Similar distros to check out. Really, because this is a preview release and uh, theming aside, I'd say the Ubuntu GNOME LTS 
or the uh, .10 release, the 2010 release of Numb. There are some others like Fedora and uh, OpenSUSE and that, that have GNOME, but you're not going to have all the uh, extensions loaded by default because this has like extension overload, I think even more so than what uh, Ubuntu has in theirs. My ratings. The ease of installation for both the new user and experienced user is 10 out of 10. I mean, it's, it's the ubiquity installer. Been a staple for many, 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 many years. Hardware issues, I'm going to say 10 out of 10. Ease of finding help for the community and web. As is going to be nice and say 8 out of 10 is because, you know, time constraints. I can understand that, especially we're still living through the uh, the pandemic and, and etc. Each country has their own issues with that. So, like I said, it's understandable. The ease of use, I'd say 8 out of 10. Plays nice with others, 10 out of 10. And the uh, stability, I'd say add 8 out of 10 because paper cuts are still annoying. So the, uh, the dock issue, if you're a dock person, it, it, you're going to have some problems. Hopefully not. Maybe it could just be my install. So my overall rating is 9 out of 10. Final comments. Given this was using Ubuntu's test release, it was overall pretty stable. Without having experience with Dash to Dock, I would assume using 20.04 would be less problematic. I think a person that is not used to the vanilla functionality of GNOME will find Voyager a more pleasant experience. There are enough extensions and default UI changes to make it more user-friendly. I would say using the 20.04 LTS would be best unless you want to wait for Voyager to update to 22.04. The only big difference in GNOME 3.38 in the LTS and GNOME 40 which is expected to be in the next LTS release 22.04. So let's move on to Moss's review on Arco Linux. Thank you, Dale. This month I'm reviewing Arco Linux Mate. Arco Linux is a distro which claims to be for beginners to install but which will gradually turn them into pure Arch users. I'm not so sure about the long-term goal, but I did install it easily, and updates have been simple and complete. I managed to install both Arco Linux Mate and Arco Linux UKUI, but I found myself liking Mate much better and concentrated on that. My hardware, I'm running on my T540P with an i7-4710MQ at 3.5 GHz, both Intel and NVIDIA graphics, 16 gigabytes of RAM installed on a 512 gigabyte silicon power SSD. The last week before the show, I installed it on my new T560 with an i7-6600U running from 2.6 to 3.4 gigahertz with Intel Skylake GT2 graphics, 8 gigabytes of RAM, and a 250 gigabyte Samsung 870 Evo SSD. Installation ease and issues, I got it installed on the T540P. Everything ran smoothly until I was informed that Grub itself could not install. I got the same thing from my installations of the UKUI version and the Cutefish version. I installed these on the second SSD in my system with Mint and Bodhi on the first SSD. I pulled my hair out. I tried a few things. I asked a bunch of friends what I might be able to do. Nothing. And then got a wild idea to just go back to Bodhi and run Grub Customizer. Voila, I had Grub and it booted. Not only that, but it booted just like any other Debian system. This is the nicest boot I've ever had from any Arch distro in that I didn't need to boot from BIOS for one system or another, just had a nice Grub boot. After that, I have not had any problems at all with Mate. As a bonus, when I installed it on the T560 on SDA4, the same disk as my Mint and Bodhi installations, I got absolutely zero issues and it even installed Grub, which I then had to steal back for Bodhi just so I knew what I was doing. Post-installation hardware facts and issues, this distro feels so comfortable I have trouble telling I'm not on Mint Mate. Also, if you are a gamer, there is a meta package for installing Steam and all its dependencies and Proton and Wine and all in one simple step. I did that in front of my gamer cousin, trying to get her more interested in Linux, and we all had her signed into her Steam account in minutes. I also found that a standard installation includes one of my favorite Mint tools, MintStick. Ease of use, no problems here. 
You don't have to use Pac-Man. Pac-Mac is a graphical updater and works just fine and is quite well integrated into the system. Memory and disk use. Arco Linux Mate reports 602 megabytes RAM usage. Full installation uses 10.2 gigabytes of disk space. Now, being me, that's with LibreOffice removed, and I believe I used FreeOffice. Ease of finding help. I couldn't get into their forum. The entry procedure includes a completely unreadable CAPTCHA, but it was easy to find and join the Telegram group. All the help you need should be found there, and I haven't needed any. Plays nice with others? Better than any Arch I've ever tried. Better than most other non-Debian-based distros, in fact. Stability. I've not experienced any issues. It's been just rock. Similar distros to check out would be Endeavor OS, Manjaro, and any Arch distro you can come across. But this is going to be so much better experience, in my opinion, than any other Arch. Ratings. Ease of installation. Or new user 7 out of 10. Experience user 7 out of 10. That's on my T540P because of having the grub issue not installing. On the other hand, on my T560, if you install it on the same disk as your other distros, I'd give it a 9 out of 10 easily. It's a super installer. You just get thrown off a bit if you get a message when you're all done installing it that it couldn't install Grub. Hardware issues, 8 out of 10. Ease of finding help, community and web, 8 out of 10. That forum is a pain. I haven't gotten there yet. Ease of use, 10 out of 10. Play is nice with others, 10 out of 10. Stability, 10 out of 10. My overall rating is a very fine 9 out of 10. Final comments. Once you get this on your system and have Grub working, you may wonder why other Arch distros are so difficult, or indeed whether you can live without Mint. This is a fine experience, and I would probably choose to keep this installation. I haven't wiped it yet, but I'll need to evaluate it when I find a distro for next month. I also installed Arco Linux with UKUI desktop. I had no problems with it, but I did not like the desktop as well, and it seems to still be under development. Random Boots featured random issues with the desktop, such as a missing plank or under-functioning UKUI menu button. Now let's run over and see what Josh has for us on Fedora. Um, yeah, so I uh, I installed uh, Fedora 35. Um, it's uh, supposed to be a more advanced distro, but I found otherwise that it's really not that advanced. It is, but it's not that hard, I should say. Uh, that being said, the longer it goes on, the you know 34, 35, 36 as it's going to be, um, it's easier to get set up and use. Uh, I tested the workstation version, and that comes with a GNOME 41 desktop. Uh, the hardware I ran on was, I ran it on my laptop and my desktop. Uh, my desktop has a Ryzen 5800X CPU and NVIDIA 1650 Super GPU, um, 256GB SSD silicon power, um, and 16GB of DDR4 RAM at 3200MHz. Uh, my laptop has an Intel i7-11800H CPU, NVIDIA 3060 mobile GPU, 500GB SSD Samsung 850 EVO, and 16GB DDR4 at 3200MHz RAM. Installation ease and issues. I didn't have any issues installing on uh, either system. I have installed Fedora many times in the past, and um, so that plays into my ease of installation a little bit. The biggest issue I can see with the installation of Fedora is the flow of the installer. You are given several choices that you need to make. You select each configuration option and choose what you need to do, such as uh, selecting a disk to install to. After you select what you want, Instead of moving forward in the installer, it takes you back to the main screen. So basically, you'll you'll click on what you want to do, like select your disk. It'll take you to that selection screen. You select the disk you want to install to. Then there'll be a button in the top right-hand corner that says Done. You select that, and it brings you back to the main screen where all of the other selections are, including your disks and all that. Once you get past that, it's not so bad to get it installed. After installing, uh, you then have to create um, your user and password on first boot. 
uh, instead of doing it in the installer, which is nice if you're trying to set it up for other people. In this version of Fedora, you can also enable third-party repos like Chrome Browser and the NVIDIA drivers right from the user creation wizard, which is nice because before you had to go into GNOME software and uh, configure it that way. Uh, once that is done, it drops you right into GNOME 41, which is a version of GNOME that is included in uh, Fedora 35. Uh, if you like GNOME, you will love uh, Fedora 35 since it has uh, GNOME 41, which is the newest version of GNOME. GNOME 41 has tons of performance and multitasking improvements, and in my opinion is the best GNOME yet. Fedora is a really nice distro that is leading edge, but yet stable. Notice I say leading edge, not bleeding edge. There is a difference. They kind of get mad at you when you say bleeding edge. <laughs> uh, it has a ton of packages in the repo, and they're all up to date, which is really nice because, um, like Ubuntu, they don't usually have exactly up-to-date packages, even on the interim releases like uh, 21.10 and such. I only had one issue, and it was pretty critical, but it only happened once, so... I don't know if it was just a fluke or, or what exactly happened, but Fedora was running fine for weeks on my desktop, uh, and then one day, um, an update, I, I did an update, and uh, everything started running really slowly, like the whole desktop, and just everything was just slow. Uh, Discord actually totally was broken, like I couldn't do anything. It would pop up, it would open up, and that was it. I tried to click on anything and it would just not do anything and um, of course that was the one day I really needed it so yeah kind of I don't know what happened stretch detection layers yeah I don't know it was just it was really weird um, I, I tried rebooting yeah nothing seemed to work yeah I was forced to use Windows uh, due to all the issues I had that day and uh, yeah that was that was interesting that was uh, the last of, or two episodes ago of Mintcast so yeah that was fun ease of use once you have everything set up, it is just like any other GNOME-based distro. It has a GUI software center, and all updates are handled by that. Obviously, you can do things with the command line, but you don't really have to. Uh, with this version, you barely need to use the terminal at all anymore, unless you have an issue, which is rare other than my issue. I don't know why that happened. Uh, the only thing I really had to use it for at all was uh, FlatHub. I had to just do one command to get that enabled. Uh, otherwise, uh, flat packs are already installed and ready to go uh, with that. Josh, I've been cheating on FlatHub. I haven't ever figured out how to get FlatHub actually installed on my system. So what I do is I open my browser, go to FlatHub, download the thing as a download, and then I go back to my terminal and, and run Flatpak install. <laughs> well, that's one way to do it. <laughs> Hey, as long as it works, that's all that matters. Uh, memory and disk usage. Um, all I need to say is GNOME. And uh, everyone knows the RAM usage will be higher than most any other distro. Or DE, I should say. Uh, HTOP reports about 1.2 gigabytes of RAM usage on cold boot. System monitor reports about 3.4 gigabytes of disk usage after install. Which I thought was pretty low. I thought that was a, a decent... Um, size uh, usage for uh, Fedora. I, I think that has to do with them using ButterFS and compression because a lot of the text files just get compressed down to almost nothing uh, when it comes to that. So that probably helped a lot. Wow. I also note that each of us used a different reporting program to figure out our RAM usage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I always use HTOP because it's there. Well, in Fedora, at least it's there. And I use NeoFetch, and uh, Dale used free. I've tried, I think I mentioned this many, many episodes ago, trying to figure this out. And I went on to, like, the, uh, you know, the server, you know, developers, you know, website. I'm blanking on the name. But I even went on on there and trying to uh, figure, and I was reading posts from, like, a decade ago, you know, 15 years ago. And it's like, what it comes down to there's no real consensus i i i found more people like using like free or htop other than than some other ones because they it all depends on the file buffers um any cached memory because i have found a half of a half a gig difference in some cases so yeah oh yeah now i know what you're talking about yeah because if you actually look at 
read what the free, what each category says, or not free, in each top, what each category means, and then compare like the numbers and in like free or even system monitor and all that. Yeah, it's it's a mess. Yeah, I I didn't mention in uh, Arco Linux that it has Conky right there on the screen unless you take that off, turn that off, and when you open the terminal, it just automatically does NeoFetch. Oh yeah, that's that's nice to uh, get your system, uh, you know, uh, statistics there. Okay, let's get Josh back on track here. My fault. No, it's all good. Uh, yeah, no, I noticed that different system monitors definitely uh, show different amounts of ram usage um that's why i use htop that seems to be more accurate because i see more that are the same as htop than i than i do any other and also when you use a terminal based reporting software it usually is a little bit more accurate because the gui ones have take a little more ram so that's kind of also adding into the whole thing but uh anyway which is to say that none of us use stacer (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a little heavy um, so on the first up uh, upgrade I had to do, I had 1,186 packages to upgrade, which uh, is a lot, but they, they seem to release one ISO and um, that's it. So like the further you get along with to Fedora 36, the more packages you're going to have to update every single time you install it. So yeah, it's, it, it just gets to be a lot after a while. Yeah, after that update, uh, there was 3.6 gigabytes of storage usage, um, which is 0.2 gigabytes more than uh, the original. And then it was um, 1.31 gigabytes of RAM usage, so a little bit higher RAM usage also. I'm not sure why that was, but that's what I got. Ease of finding help. Uh, Fedora uh, has a lively and uh, friendly community, and um, it's always easy to find help. I mean, you they have a community pretty much everywhere on Discord, on Telegram, on everything matter most. I mean, you you name it, they got a community, and everyone's always friendly. I've never had a uh, read the manual <laughs> uh, comment from them, so that's that's nice to know. Uh, plays nice with others. I didn't really test this, um, but from my experience, uh, it does work well when you install with UEFI systems. Uh, you just gotta hit the one of the F keys, you know, F12, F11, F10, depending on your system, and uh, you can switch distros pretty easily that way. Um, so it uses Grub as a bootloader, so I assume that it probably is pretty good with with other distros. But I, I like I said, I didn't test it, but Grub is usually pretty good. Uh, there have been some issues with Grub and other distros, but I, I for the most part, it, they see, it seems to work pretty good. Uh, stability, Fedora 35 is typically super stable. Other than that one issue I had, um, I never experienced any other issues. So I would say it was pretty stable. I think that was just a fluke. I, I don't know exactly why that happened for me. Uh, gaming ease. So uh, gaming was a snap getting working, no pun intended. Uh, in fact, uh, gaming on Fedora 35 has been pretty much the best gaming experience I've had on a Linux distro. Um, very, very competitive, I can say that. Uh, one of the best things about gaming on Fedora uh, is the amount of gaming-related related packages in the official repo. It's really easy to get things up and running, um, even if you need to install other things to get games working, like uh, other... Um, launchers for games such as um, the Heroic Launcher and other things like that. They're all in the repo, so that's nice to know. Uh, similar other distros to check out. Uh, OpenSUSE is another uh, very similar distro to this. Uh, it um, It's an enterprise type distro, so that's why I included that. And um, CentOS Stream as well, which is the downstream of Fedora. So if you use Fedora and you use CentOS, it's basically going to be the same kind of thing. Uh, just a little bit, well, quite a bit older. <laughs> uh, my final ratings, um, ease of installation for a new user, I would say 5 out of 10, just because of the way the installer is. It's just a little confusing. It's not like Calamares or the Ubuntu installer. It's very, very different from that. For an experienced user for installation, I would say 8 out of 10 because you can figure it out. It's not too bad once you, you know, understand the concept of how it's flowing. Um, ease of finding help, 
uh, I would say 10 out of 10 because I've never had a question unanswered when I asked the Fedora community. And like I said, it's very easy to find them. Ease of use uh, after the installation, I'd say 9 out of 10. I mean, it's it's really easy. Like I said, you don't need to use the terminal very much anymore. I Yeah, I don't think I would have any problem setting someone on Fedora and not having any issues, except for maybe the upgrade to the new version. Uh, plays nice with others. I would say 8 out of 10, like I said, because it just uses Grub. And if you install it on UEFI, that bypasses Grub, so you can just switch to distro anytime you want. Uh, stability, I'd say 9 out of 10, because like I said, I think that issue I had was just a fluke because I've never had it before. I've installed Fedora on my desktop many times, and I don't know. It was just weird. Uh, works with games, 9 out of 10, definitely. I would give it 10 out of 10, but it's still Linux, so a lot of games have issues that are Windows compatible, so I can't really give it 10 out of 10. Um, but compared to other distros, I would say uh, 10 out of 10, um, definitely for games because it's really good. Uh, overall rating, I would say 8 out of 10. Um, it just, it's a really good distro. And my final comments, uh, Fedora 35 is a great distro to use as an everyday computing system or a gaming rig. Once installed, ease of use really goes up dramatically and will be good for any level of user. So let's move on to new releases. New releases since last episode from December 7th to January 11th. Xigma NAS 12.3.0.4, Tails 4.25, FreeBSD 12.3, Calculate 22, Zorin 16 Lite, Kali Linux 2021.4, Sparky Linux 2021.12, Kaizen Linux 2.0, Pop OS 21.10, Univention Corporate Server 5.0-1, React OS 0.4.14, Elementary OS 6.1, Manjaro Linux 21.2.0, IPFire 2.27-Core162, Endeavor OS 21.5, Maybox 21.12, Pardis 21.1, Seduction 21.3.0, RescueZilla 2.3, OSMC 2021.12-1, Newtix 21.10.12, KDE Neon 2021.12.30, RDS 17.0, Arco Linux 22.01.10, EXE 2021.12.28, Septor 2022, Slackle 7.5 Openbox, Snarl 1.12, Neptune 7.0, Garuda 220101, Thin Station 6.2.13, Arch 2022.01.01, RescueZilla 2.3.1, Manjaro 21.2.1, KOS 2022.01, Raspberry Slideshow 15.0, Gecko Static 153.220104.0, Gecko Rolling 999.220105.0, Linux Mint 20.3, Clonezilla 2.8.1-12, EasyOS 3.2, AntiX 17.5, PC Linux OS 2022.01.10, LiveRizo 13.22.01.08, Dragonfly 6.2.1, Tails 4.26, and Ubuntu's DE 4-1.01. Announcements. Our next episode will probably be recorded around February 9th or 16th. For chatting with us further, you may choose to join our users in Telegram, our MeWe group, or our growing Discord channel. Where can our listeners find you, Josh? You can find me at Josh on Tech on most social networks, uh, or email me at joshontech at mintcast.org. Also, you can find me on Bo and I's Linux gaming podcast, Crowbar Kernel Panic. And where can our listeners find you, Dale? You can find me on the socials, Telegram, Matrix, Discord, at Dale underscore CDL. And my email is Dale underscore CDL at PM dot ME. And Tony, what about you? 
Yeah, you can contact me on distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com. I'm host ID 338 on uh, Hacker Public Radio. If you And I did record a show just uh, that was put out just in the new year. Yay! Yay, Tony! And I'm tw- uh, on Twitter at TonyH1212. And you can hear me every week on Full Circle Weekly News and Mintcast. My email is bardmoss at pm.me. And my Telegram, Discord, Twitter, and Mastodon contact info can be found in the show notes. And you can find me, Dale, and Dylan at itsmoss.com. Before we go... We would like to thank all those who have made this project possible, starting with the Mintcast crew for allowing us to use their Mumble server and Discord group. Archive.org for storing and helping to distribute this program. Audacity, which we use to record and edit the show. Joshua Lowe for work on our logo. All those who work on the teams which are creating, adapting, and maintaining the Linux distros we have reviewed this episode. Midair Machine, creators of the song Streets of Santivo, used as our music under Creative Commons license. Thanks to Linus Torvalds for the kernel, Richard Stolman for the GNU toolkit, and all those who have worked hard behind the scenes on free and open source Libre software. We shall be back next month. Thank all of you for listening. Mm-hmm.